I don't know how, it's been a while and, it, and it's taken me a while to get through it, but I've been going through Philippians, so I'm gonna pick up where I left off and then I'm gonna probably go back and quickly cover everything. How many, just curious, how many were here when I started? Do you guys remember the beginning of the book? Were you here when I started it? Philippians 1, 2, 3. Okay, well, we're going to have an overview. Because <laughs> it kind of puts things in context of what he's going to say. Because um, I'll just read the first seven verses, and then we're going to take a venture backwards. But if you'd follow uh, Philippians 4. Verse 1, therefore, and anytime there's a therefore, you've got to know what it's there for, but we're going to go back afterwards and, and kind of catch up. But my beloved, so we can get three words into this and spend the whole night here. <laughs> my beloved, I remember my beloved. I have a few beloves, but I remember one time when the Lord told her, called her his beloved just hearing God say that to you can change everything. Just to know that you're loved, to know that God hasn't given up, to know that he cares, to know... It's, it's one thing that he cares and that he's God, it's, but what is he able to do? If he loves you, can there be a problem? There can be things that are uncomfortable. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord Beloved, stand fast in the Lord. Beloved, then he goes on. I implore Judea and I implore Sintich to be of the same mind in the Lord, and I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. And again, the theme of this book: rejoice in the Lord always. In case you didn't get it, again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So, Father, I just thank you. For these words, I pray that you would remind them, us of them often, Lord, that we're your beloved, that there's a peace available, and uh, why these things entail, and what this means to us personally, daily, moment by moment, Lord, and uh, just speak to us and continue to tell us how much you love us in Jesus' name. Amen. So unlike well-intentioned people who come up to you might say, don't worry, be happy. So if somebody comes up and says, don't worry, it's probably because you're worrying. God tells many people throughout the Bible, be of good cheer or don't worry. And it's usually because they are. But unlike the word just saying, be happy, there's no power or source behind it. God doesn't say, don't be anxious. for, no, for He gives you a reason why you don't need to be anxious. And that's hopefully what we're going to be looking at tonight. But the Philippi, it's a city, and as we... Uh, have gone through just a refresher. Uh, in Acts 16, Paul's on his second missionary trip, and again, in perspective to see why God, through Paul, is telling these people these things. It's good to get it in perspective of 
who they are and what they're going through. Because it's, it's not like they're having a bad day and somebody's telling them to cheer up. The visible, the human side, the fleshly thing is they could have a legitimate reason to be worried and anxious and problems. Um, Paul was traveling with Timothy and Luke. He was heading east. So, again, the person writing this speaks to me a lot about going through life, walking through life. God used this man. Hopefully we want to be used by God. So if you want to be used by God, what, what are the qualifications? The first thing is, is you need to be able to hear his voice, and then you need to be available. He tells him what to do. So it's not like I had to sit there and decide, okay, what ministries do I feel like doing? What gifts should I tell God to give me? How am I going to work this whole thing out? We have a Lord. He's master, and he gets to pick. And if you just submit to him and you realize that you're beloved by him, he's not doing it because he's mad at you or hates you or wants to punish you. He's got a, an exciting, fulfilling, purpose, purposeful life that he has something planned for you. And the wonderful thing is it's all his problem. It's up to him. So Paul was just willing to do whatever, and he had a heart to do things, and uh, he wanted to go east, but God's like, nope, you're going the other way. And he told him by a vision. So Paul was there, and he had a vision, and there was a man of Macedonia, if you remember, in the book of Acts. And in the vision, there was a man that said, help us. So Paul immediately came to the conclusion, if somebody needs help, it's because they need the gospel. So he ended up going over that way, and there was uh, a bunch of women by a river, having a service and of course we know through tradition and history that whenever there were seven males Jewish people in the city they had to have a synagogue so we're assuming that there was not a large presence there and uh, of Jews and then Lydia ends up getting converted and the first church in Europe was started so Philippi was a Roman province and Paul happened to be a Roman although they didn't know it most Jews would have been slaves and after being arrested and mistreated as a Roman citizen, Paul makes a stand for, peach, for preaching and talking publicly, presumably to help the people for the church that he had started. He wanted to help life for them be easier. So he had rights. He stood up for them, but he didn't want to push it farther. He just wanted to set a precedence to help the people that he cared about. And the Philippians loved Paul. And he had sent a love offering to Paul four times. And approximately 10 to 11 years after the church started, Epaphrodites, one of the people in Philippi, took one of these love offerings to Paul in Rome while he's at house arrest, chained to Roman guards. And we know that he was wrongly accused by Nero, and it's a death, it's a death sentence. Paul's not going to get out of there. Eventually, he's going to be put to death from this. And he even was warned, right, by a prophet, um, in the, and he had a heart to go to Rome, and God's like, fine, you'll get there. And he ended up getting him escorted. It seemed like a miracle that he got there. So God had something intended for Paul. Paul was in his heart wanting to do whatever God had for him, and there was going to be a cost involved to it. And Paul, suffering seemingly wrongfully through people that were self-motivated and not loving God, Paul said, you know what, this is, God's doing something. I don't need to look at them or I'll be discouraged. That would discourage me. That would be very difficult. I talked to many people in jail discouraged, being arrested for the wrong thing. 
But he's like, you know what? I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. God's in control. There's a king on the throne dictating everything. And all I need to do is to keep my eyes on him. And then I can have perfect peace. And he sends this, this letter, the letter of Philippi, back through the hands of Epaphrodites. It was about a one-month journey. And uh, we know that when it starts out in Philippians 1, it's not written Paul an apostle like many of his letters were. So it's not written uh, with um, authority like he needs to defend himself. These people loved him, and they wanted to hear him. And he's writing, uh, it's like one of the few two, actually, letters that were written as like to friends. He's just giving them a love letter. And remember and thinking are mentioned in all four chapters. God repeats it because it's important, and we're gonna, that's one of the things we're going to be talking about tonight, remembering and thinking. What, what do we think about? And, and if you want to, again, this is a book of joy. We can have joy. It's mentioned 19 times in this book. And sometimes God's like, you know what? You don't have to be unjoyful. You, you can, and again, well, how does that represent things to the world? I walk around, I'm at work, I complain all the time. It's easy, it's, it's natural. I catch myself, or God catches me and convicts me. I'm walking around grumbling all the time, murmuring and complaining. That was also in this book, in chapter 2, I believe. He's saying, you know, don't murmur and complain, because what are you saying? I'm not treating you good. If my life is God's and everything I want to do is to please him and I'm walking with him and my focus is on him, he treats me great. He loves me. He gives me everything that I need. And my, of the difficulties that I'm going through right now are actually crowns promised if I go through it through faith for, for his glory. And I don't want to misrepresent him to the people because people, isn't it? true that the people that you go out there are confused, are scared, are miserable, don't trust. Maybe, maybe it's just our country's catching up to the rest of the world the way that it's been. But how many times have you found people that are miserable and if you're just around them, it's contagious. And I don't have a reason to be that way. I'm going to heaven. I'm saved. I have the spirit of God dwelling in me. And all of the things that are difficult are an opportunity for people to see a difference in me. And unfortunately, sometimes I let them influence me more than I can influence them. I just want to spend time with God. And that's ultimately going to be the thing that we're just talking about today. If you get nothing else, God loves you. And it's his love that leads us to repentance. And, and, and we love him because he first loved us. And we need to keep ourselves in the love of God, as Jude wrote. And we just need to remember it's a simple message that a kid can get. Children get this easy. Jesus loves you. And sometimes that is the most profound thing anyone will ever tell you. And it might be the thing that affects you more than anything else. Because as you learn and as you grow and as you start walking, you can get into a tendency where all of a sudden God's convicting you on little things and you're not willing to give in. And now all of a sudden you grieve the Holy Spirit. And now you know it's true, but his power's not there. And the natural state of man then is religion. I'm just going to go through the motions because I know what I'm supposed to do. And there's no power, there's no joy, there's no fruit of the Spirit, and you carry on. And, and we just need to be reminded, Jesus loves you. And that needs to be the motivation of what we do. It's not about what we do for him. It's about spending time with him and letting him do th stuff through us. He doesn't need workers. I mean... Many companies around our city right now have no employees. They're, they're, nobody's wanting to do anything. And I think in the church, God is like, nobody just wants to spend time with me. Ultimately, that's what Christianity is, just spending time with a good father 
who's a good shepherd who cares about you and loves you and wants to work in you. And uh, if you were to go to chapter 1, we'll just read a couple of verses and get us up to where we're at. So starting in uh, chapter 1, let's just read 21. For, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul just says, if I just have Jesus in my life, I'm fine. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what, sh- what I shall choose, I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. They needed to progress in joy and of faith. That your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries. You don't need to be terrified of your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you, the fact that they're terrifying you because of your faith, it is salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ to suffer for him, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. And after reading it multiple times, now all of a sudden I'm getting to chapter 4, and I'm gonna, we're reading of two women who at the beginning of this publicly read letter in the church that they were sitting in had to sit there and hear verse 27, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And we're going to get back to that verse, but at this point they may have been squirming. They don't know yet that he's going to call them out by name publicly in the church as he's reading it. So he's, there, there must be conviction going on. There's something, some, it's, it's not uncommon. These are two women that were doing well, that helped form the church, we believe, probably. They might have been at the river when Paul came by. They were there. And one of the things I like about Paul's confrontation or in this letter is he doesn't pick sides. He doesn't tell them, this one's right, this one's wrong, figure it out. And I don't know if you've ever been uh, used by God in a way to try to help people that are not getting along, whether I know some of us deal with married people all the time. And if there's two people that seem to be both having problems, if there's a conflict between two people, each of them must have something that they're not doing right. Because the Bible says, you know what, just, just be wrong, let it go. Well, if there's a conflict, it's because there's something that each of them wasn't willing to let go of. So one might have started it, one might have been more wrong, one might be... <laughs> my, my point being is, is if you're talking to a man and a woman who are having a problem, it doesn't matter who started it. If I'm talking to the man, I'm talking to him about his problem. If I'm talking to the woman, I'm talking to her about her problem. And, and inevitably, they're going to want to talk about the other person. I'm like, well, you're not responsible for their walk with God. You're responsible for your walk with God. If I'm talking to you, I'm going to be talking to you about your walk with God. 
And when I'm talking to him, I'll be talking to him about his walk with God. And if either of you was walking with God, it won't be this bad. And if you're both walking with God, there won't be a problem. So whenever there's a conflict, they needed to be dealt with personally about their own walk with God. So there's something going on, and it might have been valid. this, This church was going through it heavy, so who knows what issues were there. There's severe persecution in Philippi, so stuff that we've never had to gone through yet. Maybe we will, maybe this will be more relevant and mean something more to us coming up here soon. But as of right now, we haven't gone through things like this. So not judging, and Paul doesn't seem to be judging, but he's just saying, you need to strive together. There's one spirit. You have the same spirit of God in both of you. And you need to, you need to get along. This, this is a bad representation. And again, that might be the purpose for the whole letter. His whole thing is about joy. Why are you striving? You should be the happiest people in the world. You have everything going for you. And even if the world hates you, all that is is proof that they see Jesus in you and they hate him. So you should rejoice. They have issues. You don't. God's going to deal with them. So it goes on in chapter 2. It says, verse 1, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, and that word there, if, can also be read since, which is probably more accurate. Since these things be, verse 2, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. So now they really got to be squirming. <laughs> At least I would be. If they're paying attention and if they're led of the Spirit, there, there's no reason. If we all look out for each other's interests and not our own, just, I just want other people to be closer to God, and I'm going to do anything that I can. And sometimes we feel we have to correct everything. We don't make very good Holy Spirits. And the Holy Spirit in you might choose to use you to get somebody drawn closer back, but that's when we need to be careful that we don't stumble through, through that uh, process, because we can become prideful. Um, and that word fulfill ye is a verb. It means to be liberally supplied. And it also says to be like-minded. And that's, again, two words, the same psyche. And the word psyche can be con- translated as soul, life, mind, or heart. So you're to be of the same soul, of the same, have the same life, have the same mind, have the same heart, we have the same spirit, we have the same savior, we have the same destination, we have the same everything. We have way more in common with each other than we have with anybody that's unsaved. We should be, have a love and a fellowship between us that's unique and strange to the world. There's something that happens within us that they shouldn't be able to understand. And then he goes, you may be before uh, an earthly judge. Some of them were, they were going through the same conflict that Paul was going through. Uh, he goes, but both you and the judge are before God's throne. He says, then he goes on in the middle of the chapter, and he says, God is aware of what is happening. Jesus is a righteous judge. Jesus is God and can forgive for offenses. Then he says, he's not only the judge, but he's our attorney, our mediator. And then he says, press on and keep the faith. And again, before Philippians, I had gone through Habakkuk, and it has that verse, the just shall live by faith. And they were going through even more difficult things than this. The 
people came in and were about to take him over. And uh, how appropriate is that book? If you haven't read Habakkuk or haven't read it in a while, I suggest you go through and read that again. God says there's something coming. If I told you, you wouldn't believe me. It's going to be difficult, but you get through it by walking by faith. And in the end, everything's going to be fine. <laughs> I'm in control. Just walk by faith. Press on. Keep the faith. And then it goes on in verse 12 of chapter 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God's working in you. He's doing something. It might be difficult. It might be hard. It might be discouraging. But God's doing something, and he's going to work in you what he wants to get out of you. And then he goes on and he commends Timothy and Epaphroditus throughout the rest of the chapter. And in chapter 3, he said, it starts out, there were people that I just commended you to follow. We, I've given you examples, but then there's also people that are out there that want to harm you. He says, finally, my brethren, as a true pastor, halfway through his sermon, he sounds like he's over, finally, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. And that word, dogs, are referring to people that were preaching law over grace or looking at things naturally. They just looked at the things that were happening around them naturally, and they didn't see God behind the scene. And um, you can't know God unless he reveals himself through his spirit, and you receive it by faith, it goes on to say. And then it says in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You can, Paul's saying that this is something he desires, that I might know him. And that word, obviously, is to know experientially. And the, the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to you. And the fellowship of his suffering not for the sake of suffering, but to be conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. There's, there's a hope, there's a purpose, there's a plan. Less of me, more of him. It comes at a cost. It's, people, it's, it's like one of the most, there's very few things that babies have naturally right off the bat, and the, and the will to live is strong. Our flesh dies hard. We don't want to give up. But if we want Christ, we have to give up our life that we might have his life. You have, to, you have to be planted. You have to die in order to, be, to have life, to have Christ's life in you. And then I kind of did a summary. There was a chapter one is about an account of circumstances. Chapter two is about the mind of Christ. Chapter three, as we just read, the knowledge of Christ. And chapter four talks about the peace of Christ. And I think it all stems from the therefore in chapter 4, verse 1, I think is backing up to chapter 3, verse 17. So it says, Brethren, join in me, join in following my example, and note those who walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, what they lust for, the thing that they desire, and whose glory is in their shame. They glory in their own self-righteousness, and that is a shameful thing in the sight of God. 
who set their mind on earthly things. It's all about what they do and what they do here apart from the Spirit of God. For our citizenship, if nothing else tonight, take this to memory, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are citizens of a different kingdom. And when we try to live that citizenship in this world under these rules, it doesn't make sense and it gets hard. We need to remember that. It doesn't make sense. Jesus himself was standing before Pontius Pilate, and he says, are you really the king? And he said, if I was the king, then if I had a kingdom, then this was, I would, my father would send angels and we'd fight for it. This isn't what I'm fighting for. This isn't my battle. I have something bigger and better going on. I don't need to strive over these earthly matters that are really not relevant to the big picture. Where is our mind? Where is our heart? What are we living for? We have a citizenship, and it's in heaven. So what does that mean? Who's in heaven? Jesus. Jesus is on a, on a throne. He's on a throne of grace, the mercy seat. Thank God. He rules over the law. He's sitting, like the, the picture that he had given, which it's an awesome picture. Um, after the template that, that he had showed Moses, he said, like the figure that you saw in heaven, make the temple, the tabernacle on the earth after that pattern of what you saw in heaven. There's an actual throne. So who's sitting on the throne? Jesus. So when he saw the throne, what, on earth, what did they do? They have the Holy of Holies. No one was allowed in until the, the curtain got rent right in the temple. So when the high priest went in, he is our high priest. There is a high priest there also, Jesus. And what did he do to take away the sins of the world? They would actually have to, or of the nation, they would kill a lamb, they would dip it in, and they would go up and they would sprinkle it where? On the mercy seat, where God was sitting. The blood on the lamb, on the seat, on the throne. Our, our king died for us. It's a picture of what he did for us. He loves us. We're beloved. We are citizens in heaven, and the kingdom of God has different has its own rules, right? The Sermon on the Mount goes through all these rules. So if we have a kingdom and we're citizens of that kingdom, he has things on how we're to live. That doesn't negate us from being citizens, but if you want peace in that kingdom, then all you have to do is live according to the rules of the kingdom, then you will experience the peace of that kingdom. You can have peace with God, right? And that comes through Jesus. Jesus paid the price so that we can have peace with God. And once you do that, then you can actually have, which is what we're going to get to in verse 6, the peace of God. And it, and it gets even better than that. Once you have peace with God, you can have the peace of God. So there's this, Jesus is coming, and I'm just thinking, so what, what are we doing here? If we have a different kingdom, well, he tells us, obey every ordinance of man, right? So we are, we have we're living in two kingdoms, so you have two addresses, right? These people were in Philippi and in heaven. We're in Rochester and we're in heaven. So I have different authorities over me. Even Jesus acknowledged 
to Pontius Pilate, you wouldn't have any authority unless my father gave it to you. After he said, don't you know I have the power to kill you? And Jesus said, yeah, my father did give you that power, which is mind-blowing to me, that God allowed him to have that power. And, and Jesus didn't fight that power because God, he knew that God was using that power for his purpose. So we follow the ordinances until they contradict the ordinance of God. So when the, the rules of man tells us that we have to violate God's rules, then we have to draw the line. But until then, he says, most of the time, through your life, you can follow both. I mean, he doesn't tell me I have to speed when I'm driving. <laughs> nope, God says I have to get there quick. I don't, I'm not going to listen to your, your speed law. So most of the time when there's a conflict, it's usually because I got carnal or I just got caught being me. <laughs> and there's consequences sometimes. But our citizenship is in heaven. There's two kingdoms. They were in the, actually under the rule of Rome. So they were in Rome and God's kingdom. They had two different sets of rules. But why are they there? They're ambassadors. They weren't just there waiting to go to heaven. They were there to represent him until he came and took them. So I don't know if this makes any sense to you, but they were ambassadors, and he says, you know what, I'm not going to leave you there. Unlike some people that we know lately. They were ambassadors. They were representing a country somewhere else, and it was violent, and they they can get abandoned because people aren't God. God's like, I'm gonna, I'm, you are citizens of me. You're to wait for me in heaven. And ultimately, even if you die there, I'm going to transform your body. I'm going to conform it to my body, and you're going to come to be with me. I am not leaving you down there. Jesus is coming back for us. He's left us here as ambassadors, and he doesn't say, try to fix it while you're there. He just said, just walk with me. Live at peace as best as you can and wait for me because I'm coming. And if your eyes aren't on him, then you're going to strive on the waiting. We're just here trying to represent him, and we get caught up in all the things going around us. And sometimes that in and of itself isn't bad, except that sometimes it makes me not represent him well. And that's when I lose my peace. So now all of a sudden I'm here. If I'm trying to get something accomplished that wasn't God's will, then his spirit and his power and his He's not doing it for me. Now I've got to try to do it myself. And now I have anxiety. How am I going to get that done? It's hard. Now I've got a burden. And I'm trying to tell him what to do. He's not listening. I don't know why he stopped listening to me now. This is what I want done. Hello, God. I thought you were there for me. And he's just like, just come to me. My, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Be busy about my business. I'll take care of all that stuff. So he says, because he's not leaving us, because we have a citizenship, because he's on the throne, because he cares, therefore, chapter 4, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, that's how you stand fast in the Lord, loved. Just let him love you. God cares for you. God cares for me. He's not left me here to torture me. He doesn't hate me. He's trying to use me as an example to everyone. If things get difficult, it's because he wants people to see his grace in me through it. And instead, I can find myself complaining about God using me because I don't want him to do that in me because I don't want him to be my Lord. I want him to be my genie. God's like, I'll be patient. I'll wait. It'll be okay, but you're not going to have any peace through it. 
stand fast, loved by God. And now they got to like get up and sink in their chairs. I implore Eudia. So here's two women that were having difficulties. They must not have had joy. They must have been having some conflict. They didn't give it over to God. And Paul cares enough to try to draw them together. And he doesn't necessarily rebuke them. He doesn't tell them who's right or who's wrong. He doesn't tell them what to do. He just says, make up. Just get over it. I urge you also, he says, be of the same mind in the Lord. It's not that one of your minds is better than the other. You both need the mind of Christ. to Get together in the Lord and get over it. I love you. God loves you. And I implore you. I'm begging you. Be of the same mind. And, and it's obviously was a big enough thing that it must have been public. So I'm assuming, which I don't know if I have liberty to do that, Paul's addressing it publicly probably because they're, whatever they were dealing with was public. So he was probably letting everybody know, yes, they have an issue, you know they have an issue, and I know they have an issue, but just, we'll just get over it. And he's asking people there to help them. I urge you also, true companion, help these women. And then he goes on and, and, and defends them. Don't treat them like an enemy. They, they labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. They're saved. They're your brother and sister. And just like they need to be of the same mind, you need to be of the same mind as them. You need to have the same mind of Christ in order to be able to be a tool to be used to fix this. Just love people. Love on them. Help them to love each other. Their names are written in the book of life. And then right after that, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. He's exhorting them. Be happy. You have a reason to have joy. Then he says, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. The Lord's coming back. Let people know how gentle he is. God's gentle. We cannot be gentle because it's in us, or we can allow the Spirit of God to live through us, right? And we know the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. That's what people need to see. They need to say, what do you have? I think I need that, or I know that I don't have that, or I don't like you because of it. They need to have a, a line drawn. They need to know that they're making a decision. Let God use you in other people's lives. Let your gentleness... Don't just be gentle, but let it be known to everybody. The Lord is at hand. And then he goes on, verse 6, be anxious for nothing. So whether it's the two or, or the body there, he's exhorting all of them to have joy. But there, he doesn't, you know, God doesn't tell people don't be anxious that aren't anxious. And again, anxiety, worry, right? it's the opposite of faith. I trust God's going to take care of it. Well, again, I think the only time we really worry about God not taking care of something, if it's something I'm not sure he wants for me, that I want. That's where the anxiety comes in. This is what I want. I don't know if it's going to happen. Well, I know God's big. I know he's able. I just don't know if he's willing. What if God's not, what if God's not willing to do something I want him to do? that should make me say that must not be good for me. Or he's directing me. That shouldn't mean I have to do it now. If God's not willing to do it, I have to do it. Think about it. Why wouldn't God do it for you? 
what would he withhold from you? Or why is he withholding it from you? Be anxious for nothing, but, so there's an alternative to anxiety. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And I've read this multiple times. It's a very common verse. This time when I read it, the word request just kept on hitting me like a hammer. We don't tell him what to do. It's a request. He's Lord. Okay, this is what I think I want. I'm making a request. And as I'm making a request, we, we pray for everything. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, and again, that is with thanksgiving, because we have faith. We're children of God. We have a good God. We are standing fast in the Lord, beloved. And once I do that, I know he's a good God, I know he cares, and I know he loves me. So now when I'm going before him, if there's something I'm unsure about, I don't have to have the anxiety. I can just say, I don't know what you're doing. This seems like it's not right. Sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. James tells us, so I'm going to ask. And if I'm to have it, I'll get it. If it's a timing issue, then it'll come later. If it's something you just want to give me, I'm asking for you, please give it to me. If it's something you don't want me to have, then I can have peace saying, this is you saying no, and that's what's best for me. And if all I want to do is stand fast in the Lord, beloved, it's his problem. If I'm just here a citizen of his kingdom and he's Lord, and he wants me to do something, that's his problem. If he's asking me to ask for it, then he'll do it. If he doesn't want me to have it, he has the right to tell me no, and that should be one of the ways how I find out what his calling and his plan for my life is. He's guiding me and directing me. If I'm in charge, then I might get upset with him, or I might think he doesn't care. But the truth of the matter is, isn't does he love me? The question now comes down to is, am I loving him? He doesn't tell us we have to do anything to earn his love. He doesn't ever tell us, do something so that I can love you. He just says, if you love me, then do this. Now the question is, is not does he love me? The question is now is, am I loving him? Am I letting him run my life? Because he redeemed me. He bought me. I'm his. Have I taken my life back and am I trying to do things and God's not cooperating so now I have anxiety? Or am I just willing to walk with him, let him take over and do what he wants and have peace? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, he says, in everything. So what's is there something too big for God? Is there anything in your life that's too little he doesn't care about? He says everything. Some people, oh yeah, I go to God for the, for the big things, but the little things I don't want to bother him with. What's big to God? That doesn't even make sense in his terms. In his, there is nothing that's big and there's nothing that's little. Everything, he cares about you. And if you care about it and it's on your heart and in your mind, then, it's on, then he cares about it because he he cares about how we walk with him. He says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And in, re- in response to that, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, because it's not about you being able to figure it out. It's not about you understanding what he's doing. It's understanding what he's told you about you and about him. He cares for you. He loves you. He wants to do what's best for you. 
and then I don't have to try to do it myself or figure it out. I just have to let him do it. Then I can finally have peace. So you can have peace with God, and when you come to a place that he's Lord, you then have the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And again, that's the part that we have issues with, is overthinking and desiring wrong things. Our hearts and our minds need to be guarded. What we need to do is have the Spirit of God speak to us and tell us what his plan for our life is and that he's in control, and let that be the thing that causes us how we pray and what we want to do. So the who is Jesus? And uh, So now I'm going to get into Rob's portion of the study because I think everything I'm about to read he's either said earlier today or even tonight. But if, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Is he, is, he your, is he your Lord? Is he on the throne? Is he capable? Is he God Almighty? Is he powerful? Can he do things? And I had written down, there's multiple things through the Bible. That can be another multi-session Bible study all day thing. I happened to write down the seven I am's in John, which we already covered today. But Jesus said in John, just as an example, I'm the bread of life. So if you need sustenance, something to get you through the day, I, I, I'm hungry, I need something, he's the bread of life. If, if things seem dark and you don't know what's truth, he says, I'm the light of the world. If you're worried about enemies coming in or people are deceiving you, he says, I'm the gate, I'm the gate of the sheepfold. And again, if you're worried about somebody knowing which direction to go or where you're supposed to go to church or how you're supposed to get fed, he says, I am the good shepherd. As we read earlier about Paul, he goes, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. You can't scare him with death. Were you threatening heaven to me? He's like, I am the resurrection and the life. More practically, what am I supposed to do tomorrow? How am I supposed to live my life? What happens if this happens in my life? He goes, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And again, how do I have power to live this life? He goes, I am the true vine. If you stay connected to him, the source, the spirit, he says, if you get disconnected from me, It'll die and wither, but if you stay connected to me, I'll, I'll, I'll nourish you. I will fill you, the, fill you with the Holy Spirit. So when persecution came, God was still there. And uh, if you would just flip with me to Psalm 46. Which Rob also quoted part of this as he prayed. And was, so this is for somebody, for all of us. They were going through difficult times. There was persecution there. God is like, you know what? There's, I'm in control. I'm doing something. I'm using you. The world knows that I'm using you, and it's bothering them. That should be good news for you. You don't have to be gloomy and walking around feeling like you're defeated. You're going to win. I'm coming back for you, and I have a, I'm, I'm the king of heaven. I have everything going for me. And I'm going to not leave my children there. I'm even going to give you a new body. Everything's going to be perfect. But even though for a time it seems like you're going through a battle. And it, I just thought of Psalm 46. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Why are we not going to fear? Don't worry. Be happy. No, we're not going to fear because God's 
our refuge and his strength, and he's very present. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, Selah, there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The nations today are raging. Our country is raging. The world is raging. God shall not be moved. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice and the earth melted. That's who's on the throne. That's whose kingdom. That's the king of the kingdom that you're in. He uttered his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the, the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. So what's the conclusion? Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. We have absolutely no reason to be anxious or to fear. We should be joyful. Your dad wins. Your dad is bigger than their dad. <laughs> A lot bigger. Everything's going to be okay. It's just, and if it seems crazy, he told us it was going to be crazy. That only proves that he's right. That only proves that you're beloved. That only proves that you should stand fast in him and just wait. But tonight we're going to take communion. So just to head back to Philippians 3. In verse 17, we'll just read uh, three verses and then we can uh, sing a song. And at the end, we can uh, come up and grab the elements and then we'll hold them and take them at, at the end there. Brethren, join, chapter 3, verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who walk and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. So he's talking about an enemy of the cross of Christ. He's not saying he's an enemy of Christians. He's not even saying necessarily that they're enemies of Christ, even though they are in respect. They're enemies of the cross, of Christ. What did Christ's cross do? He did everything. He paid it all. He made the way. He, he took the penalty of our sin upon himself on his cross. We don't have to do anything. And there are those that say, you know, it's about what we do. Okay, Jesus died for you, but you also have to, or therefore you must. If anybody adds anything to his cross in order to be right with God, then they're an enemy of his cross. His cross is the thing that paid it all. So just keeping that in mind, if you want to uh, come up and 
grab the tokens.